0: And so if we think about it, performative means ever relating to performance art, which is my belief anytime we're speaking, it really is performance art. It's a one time that we're doing it, and we always have a chance to use these different levers to actually perform and deliver it in a way that connects with our audience.
1: You are listening to Amplify Your Success Podcast, episode 269. And today, we're going behind the scenes to discover how to tap into your prospect's buying emotions. Are you ready for this? Let's get started. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It is your host, Melanie Benson, authority amplifier to expertpreneurs who are ready to transform their wisdom into wealth. And today, I've got a special guest joining us to talk about buying emotions what your prospects and potential clients are waiting to hear from you that get them to stop lurking and waiting, and to start taking action. This is a really valuable insight to discover because we've all had those clients who we know we are meant to help. They There is this exquisite opportunity for you to share your superpower and help them solve a problem or get to a goal, and yet they just wait, they hold off. Or you're in a room full of potential clients and something is just missing, right? There's something missing that you can't get your point across. And our guest today is going to share some very powerful skills he's developed as he's studied how emotions link to buying behavior. So really interesting stuff. And before I introduce you to him, I am so excited about what's been happening in my Amplify Your Authority Facebook group. And if you are not yet a member, it's absolutely free right now. We are diving deep into my seven step framework that helps you get your message out in front of ideal audiences transform those audiences into hot leads that can't wait to learn more from you and become your client, and then transform those leads into four and five figure client deals. And I'm unpacking each of the strategies in the Amplify Your Authority Facebook group. If you have not yet joined us there, head over to amplifywithmelanie.com. I have to tell you, this framework has served me so well. Uh, This is my 21st year in business. It is something I come back to over and over and over again every time I want to ramp things up. And there's no real secret sauce, but there are some things that you can do that will help you turn up the juice and really activate it or will deflate it and cause it to not work. And I am helping you decode your uh, steps to making this the best year possible with the plan and with some added bonus resources and tips and mini trainings in the group. So head over to AmplifyWithMelanie.com. Let's make this the year that you amplify your impact, your income, and your influence. You ready for this? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, Amplifiers. Today, we're talking about how to tap into your prospects' emotions. Uh, Let me introduce you to my guest, Robbie Crabtree. Now, he's the founder of Performative Speaking and has worked as an attorney on over 100 high-profile cases, along with teaching persuasive speaking at the Southern Methodist University Law School. He also coaches students to complete oh, sorry, compete nationally in speech competitions every semester. He's worked with leaders at Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Reddit to develop their speaking ability. And today, he's joining me, and I'm super curious to hear about how we come from a law background to performative speaking. Thanks for joining us, Robbie.
0: Thanks for having me, Melanie. Uh, I'm very, very excited to be here today and looking forward to
1: sharing how that
0: journey actually played out.
1: Okay, well, why don't we start there? I don't normally get into the history right away, but I just feel like there's a juicy story in there.
0: So it started when I went to law school originally. I always thought there was this idea that if I become a trial lawyer, that's such a a rare skill set, especially going to trial as many times as I did. I said, if I hit 100 jury trials, I can find a way to leverage that. I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always wanted to build something of my own. I just didn't know how to do it. I was like, I can't build tech. I can't build an app. I don't know computer science. So how do I do this thing? And it was when I was a trial lawyer, I was working my way up, working my way up and trying murders, capital murders, child abuse cases during that period of time. I started to realize how these skills could translate to a broader audience. So I started coaching the National Mock Trial Team at SMU Law School. I started testing it and it validated that I could teach this stuff. So then it was in late 2019, that I started realizing like I, I was paying attention to the tech world. And I was like, these people have great ideas. They're super smart, but they are terrible communicators. Like they don't know how to sell a story. They don't know how to speak. They don't know how to do these basic things that I've been developing. And I was like, they also are are raising tons of money. You know, millions of dollars Their companies are becoming valued at billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions very quickly. I was like, this is an industry I can help. So it was this moment where I kind of realized there's this need over here and I've got this skill set over here And I can bring these two together and kind of bridge that gap. So I kind of had this guess. And in 2020, it started to play out where I started getting inbound requests from entrepreneurs and founders to start working with them. And once that happened, I started seeing it kind of working. I was like, all right, I'm going to give up the law thing in the summer of 2020, really, and just double down, especially because in the summer of 2020, COVID hit and there was no Mm -hmm. trial law left. And so I was like, let's really try this. And ever since I've just really been building out this brand around performance speaking in my company and working with these you know founders and incredible leaders at big companies to help them communicate their ideas because the question I, I always think to myself is how can I help people with world changing ideas actually communicate their ideas to change the world?
1: Mm, I love that. Anytime we're giving world changers a formula or a recipe or better tools, like I feel like we're doing that good work in the world, right? So. Let's just take a step back and explain what performative speaking is, because I have a feeling it's not necessarily what everybody thinks it is.
0: So my guess is most people think it's like get up on a stage and talk. And that simply isn't the case. Performance speaking is really a holistic approach to the way that we communicate, especially using strategic storytelling. And so if we think about it, performative means ever relating to performance art, which is my belief. Anytime we're speaking, it really is performance art. It's a one time that we're doing it, and we always have a chance to use these different levers to actually perform and deliver it in a way that connects with our audience. Great example of this would be Amanda Gorman's inaugural address. Beautiful, beautiful way that she delivered it in a way that moved and captivated an audience. Now, the second piece of this is the word performativity. That means the ability for words to bring about change. So when we combine performance art with words bringing change, that's really what I believe in, is that our words are so valuable. It's what makes us unique as a species. And it's actually, if we go back and you can look at the book, Sapiens, it really dives into this. Storytelling is the thing that allowed our species of of humans to essentially evolve into the dominant dominant species because we could tell stories to understand what we should be focused on, how to avoid danger, how to survive and thrive. And really performance speaking comes down to how can I help more people understand the strategic storytelling communication that I think is really what drives wild success, wild success, tons of opportunity, and really just elevates each person's life.
1: So I I have so many questions. Like my brain's just like, boom, like exploding because I love this concept so much. And I was imagining that as as our listener is tuning in and they're, they're starting to imagine this idea of performative speaking, that... Um, there's a moment where we realize there's a way to captivate the attention of our listeners on a podcast or uh, a st- you know the audience in a stage or a reader of a message that we're putting out there through social, what do you think really works to captivate their attention?
0: So when it comes to grabbing that attention, right? It all comes down to emotional hooks. Mm-hmm. and And this may sound a little bit harsh, but I learned this this lesson. I actually lost a jury trial, my eighth trial ever. and I lost it. And I had like all the facts for me. The law was for me. It should have been a slam dunk case. And I lost it and I listened to the jury as they walked out and talked to the defendant. And it was a driving law intoxicated case, so nothing that serious. But they told him change the way that I think about everything. this is how this is literally the lesson for how to captivate people. And it they told him, we know you were guilty, you know you were guilty. But we believed you when you said that you felt sorry and we felt we should give you a second chance so what i learned in that moment was like i had won i had i had convinced my jury that i was right but they were not inspired to act because i hadn't connected to them emotionally so when we think about connecting with our audience really inspiring them to that action it all comes down to emotion how do we create that emotion and then how do we back it up with logic and reason because we have to give logic and reason and this really goes down to Aristotle's art of rhetoric when it comes to ethos, logos, and pathos. But too many times speakers forget about pathos, which is the emotion that drives a decision. And then they only focus on logos and ethos, which is the logic and the credibility. We really got to blend those three, focus on the emotion that draws a cap captivation for your audience. And then you back it up and wrap it up so they can justify it with
1: your logic and reason. Hmm, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, I've heard for years about uh, emotion and how it, It's the, the one thing that inspires people into action, but I think there's a kind of a misnomer, if you will, or a myth that a lot of people learn, uh, when they're trying to learn how to speak or maybe share a message from a podcast. And that is to be excited. And I I actually, you're going to love this, Robbie. I remember a coach of mine many years ago, this was probably like 18 years ago, 17 years ago. And she i remember cuz my speaking was not so great back then <laughs> you know i was like very stiff i was still kind of coming out of my corporate energy and trying to find my own authentic voice and she used to say just be excited people will buy your excitement and i'm like that's not working so what is your take on being excited is that enough to make your prospect excited to work with you or at least to raise their hand and say how can i get more from you
0: the the harsh answer is no that's Okay, that is, I
1: didn't think so either but
0: <laughs> that's that's not good advice and here's okay. here's why because that's a very cookie cutter approach every audience needs something different they need to feel something different right and excitement oftentimes isn't that thing so if we go in thinking well if i'm just excited they're going to be excited let's let's first off say excitement not be may not be the emotion they need the second problem with that is just because we ourselves are feeling an emotion does not mean the audience feels the same emotion. So if I come in excited, that might actually push off my audience because they may be like, whoa, this person's way too over the top. Like I'm shut down. So like we think that it translates, but in fact, what you should be doing instead is focusing on what your audience needs to feel. When we focus on that, so this is actually where where performance speaking kind of differs because I, I tell people, ask this question, where's your audience at currently? Where do you want them to end up? What do they need to feel to walk that bridge to get to that where they want to end up? And then the important part is when have you yourself felt that emotion? Then we go to what I call an inspiration list, things that you keep as a speaker. It could be television, books, ads, travel experiences, things when you have felt that emotion, that specific emotion that you want your audience to feel. And now we reverse engineer. Why did you feel that way? Why did I feel that exact sense of that emotion in that moment and then recreate it. And the best example I have of this is I did it in the last case I ever tried. And I was a defense attorney at the time defending somebody of murder. And he had killed his brother on video. There's no doubt about it, but I believed it was self-defense. But in order to connect to my jury, it wasn't about how I needed to feel, it was about how they needed to feel. So I went to my favorite scene in the West Wing. It's from Take the Sabbath Day and it's talking about capital punishment. And it's a conversation between a rabbi and Toby Ziegler, who's a communications director. And I broke down exactly why does this scene work for me? And it was the words they were choosing, it was the way that they were saying it, it was the setting, it was the mood, it was the delivery. And so what I did is I went in that courtroom and I recreated all of that sort of vibe, that feeling, so it would connect with my jury. And by the end of it, my jury was crying at what I was saying and ultimately came back with a not guilty verdict on that murder. And that, that client actually got to go home to his family. But if I was just going in there and trying to give them the emotion that I was feeling, it wouldn't have connected because I instead approached it as what does my audience need to feel? Then when have I felt that? And now how can I translate that to them?
1: Hmm. That is very powerful. And we all know that uh, great script writers are excellent at tapping into emotion. It's the hero's journey concept. And what what I'm interpreting and what you're saying is in a way... We're bringing some of that into the way you communicate from a stage or share a message in whatever vehicle you, or your platform you're using.
0: 100%, 100%. Like you're doing it, whether it's from a stage, whether you're giving a presentation in front of a, you know, to your bosses or to your subordinates, it could also be in a written piece on LinkedIn. In all honesty, mm-hmm. think about how can you create that emotion? That's oftentimes, you know, maybe it's short sentences that create what I call musicality. And it's, you know, long sentences until short. And it could be like one one word sentence where it feels very much like boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden we're getting this rhythm and we're getting this depth to bring it to life, much like a script writer would be doing in order to show the actor how to deliver it. And you should be doing the same when you're writing something, you're writing it in a way to show the reader, this is how you should read it so you can feel it the way I designed it.
1: Hmm. Uh, so- say someone's listening in right now and they're realizing, okay, this is not my area of expertise. I don't do this well. I know I could um, master this area a bit better to get better results. What is uh, your advice for someone who's ready to inspire and encourage others through their storytelling?
0: So there are a number of ways to, to do this and it depends on what level of kind of conviction and buy-in you want to go into, right? So obviously you can work with somebody to like, that's going to be your highest level, like getting an actual like coach to to really dial it in with you. But there are other ways too. I mean, you can start reading and, and watching sort of courses or free videos, to be honest, like you can do a ton. If you just start intentionally consuming, that means movies. Why do you feel a certain way? Watch speeches of your favorite. Go and watch who are your best speakers? Who are your best storytellers? That could be somebody like a comedian that you really enjoy and you love watching them. Jamie Foxx is a great storyteller. You can go watch Jamie Foxx and you can learn from him when it comes to storytelling. You can go watch Pixar. Pixar has an entire breakdown about how they tell stories. Guess what? All of those things apply to you as a storyteller as well. The principles continue to go no matter where you are. So you can also read books. Some of my favorite things to teach people are reading books like Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, Dune, like we just saw the movie, but there's also the book. If you are paying attention to these things, they can be both highly entertaining, which great speaking should be, but they can also be very informative and educational in terms of how do you tell a great story? How do you structure it? How do you think about it? How do you set up the characters? How do you world build? How do you do all these pieces? And you watch people who are great at delivery as well. So you combine the content, you combine the strategy with the delivery and all of a sudden you start becoming a really great speaker. And then if you wanna to get to that you know, top 5%, top 1% of the world, you start working with people who are really experts in the space that can deliver those kind of results.
1: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I I always loved Star Wars for that reason, because not only is it a great story and it's very inspiring and it moves you through a range of emotions, but if you know the backstory about how these books were written and how the movies came to life, there was a lot of study about creating certain emotional arcs. And so find something that you resonate with. I love that advice and figure out a way to kind of model it. And I'm all for hiring coaches in this area because What I think happens sometimes is people learn these concepts, but they don't know how to integrate them and make them authentic to them. And so that was actually my next question for you, because I know for me, when I was studying other people's strategies, I was like, who am I? I feel very stiff on stage. This is not my voice. And everything stopped working. And it wasn't until I really figured out how to integrate these strategies and make them my own that I felt natural and authentic and back in my power. And So if somebody's um, maybe bumping up against some resistance or a limiting belief, maybe even, that they can't perform in their storytelling without feeling uh, inauthentic or you know what I'm saying? Um, what would you give them advice to feel more confident that they can integrate these and make them their own?
0: So I'm a big fan of always saying, like I don't want to create another Robbie Crab tree in the world. Like there's already one of me. Nobody needs to sound like me. like i've 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 got me down. So let's continue to help other people sound like the best version of of themselves. Now, here's where I will give some pushback. A lot of people will use the term, Authentic. They don't want to, like, they want to say authentic to their voice. But what they're really saying is they don't want to push themselves to grow and to test things. Because I wasn't a coffee drinker up until I went to law school. I would have told you I'm not a coffee drinker. My authentic self is a non coffee drinker. I now love coffee because I gave it a shot and I tried it and I was like, this is great. So I think sometimes it comes down to being willing to experiment and try things. Now, when it actually comes to this, what we want to start figuring out when it comes to integrating these sort of ideas is what is that voice that you want to be able to hit? How do you want to sound up on stage? And then test it and retest it and try new things because it really comes down to practice and feedback. Practice and feedback. And this is where getting a set of eyes on you who really knows what you're doing comes in in so handy because I can watch the clients I work with. It's oftentimes founders who are trying to fundraise and they're pitching to investors and then leading teams. And these can be, you know, $20 million type conversations that I'm trying to help them like to nail themselves. And oftentimes we'll be like, well, Robbie, just tell me what to do. Like, I can't tell you exactly what to do because we've got to figure it out for you. Because what I would do isn't the same. So, what I end up trying to do a lot of when I work with, with clients is to find examples to be like, hey, I think this section or this part of the talk should sound like this speech from JFK or should sound like this scene from Hunger Games Catching Fire or here's musical notes that I will actually write onto the words because I think it should sound like this because that's going to spark this creative part of the brain. And so there's so many moving pieces that you start to put in. But the truth is, if you're just out there and you're trying to be like, Robbie, I get this. I want to get better at this. The truth is practice and push yourself out of your comfort zone and then get feedback. And what you'll find is oftentimes we're harsh on ourselves than other people are. They might love it. They might say, hey, that was absolutely authentic to who you are. Like, that was perfect. I bought in. I believed you. I wanted to do the thing. But you might be over here saying, ah, that felt really icky to me. It didn't feel real. But if you got your result, as long as your result is coming from a place, you're trying to inspire action to to benefit the other person. This is where we have to be very careful because it's very easy to slip into coercion where you can take advantage of people when you get really good at this. We always want to keep in mind, are we doing something that is for the good of the other person? If we are, then keep moving into that and keep learning so you can develop and and get better results. Mm.
1: So I'm so inspired right now. Now I'm like gonna go uh, look over how I tell my stories and see what I need to incorporate from your advice today. This is brilliant. Robbie, uh, what is your preferred way for people to connect with you and learn more about your work?
0: The easiest way, honestly, is to follow me on my socials. I'm very active on Twitter, which is at Robbie Crabb. I'm also very active on both LinkedIn and Instagram, those you can find me, LinkedIn, Robbie Crabtree. On Instagram, it's at the Robbie Crab. That's where I'm nice. most active. You can reach out to me. I love to provide daily like daily content there because it's a way of talking to people and, and giving kind of free ideas because most of my, my normal work is, you know is a pretty heavy investment. And so this is a way that I can connect with more people on a mass scale and say, like, here's some things you can take and actually learn and develop and and use yourself so you can elevate this skill. Because I think so many people overlook the power of great storytelling and speaking Mm -hmm. and communication as a whole. And and they're just leaving so much growth on the table, so much income on the table, and also just so much happiness.
1: I, I agree. I agree. I'm all for optimizing our uh, performance, our, our strategies, so that we get better results and it's more fun in the process. Well, you know what's coming. This is the time where I'd like to ask a couple of fun questions just to get to know Robbie a little bit better. What would you say is the boldest thing you've had to do to get where you are in your business today?
0: Honestly, the boldest thing I had to do was leaving the legal world behind. And I mean, I, I absolutely left it behind. Like, I just cut it off. It was like, I'm not taking any cases. I'm not going to keep one foot there and one foot in this new world. So I'm done. I'm out. And I remember I was sitting at a Tex-Mex restaurant in in Humble, Texas with my parents. And we were having dinner and it was October of, of last year, 2020. So not, not that long ago. And my dad's just sitting there across the table from me. And he is saying, Robbie, like, what the hell are you doing? I go back <laughs> to being a lawyer. Like, that's what... went to school for that's what you're good at like this is ridiculous go back to being a lawyer like stop this kind of foolishness and i remember just being like dad i'm telling you that there's a thing here like i'm gonna keep going into it like it's it's a thing and all my friends said the same thing all my legal friends all my high school friends all my college friends it was just a constant barrage of this isn't a thing robbie go back to being a lawyer go back to being a lawyer and that was by far the biggest risk that I had to take, was just continue to tell these people, no, no, like, I don't care. I'm going all in. I may not be making making income. I may not be making what I think I should be. Like, I've got all these people who want to work with me in the legal world, but I'm not doing it. So that was by far the, the toughest moment. And, and luckily, I, I held strong and continued to push through.
1: Wow. Good for you. Congratulations. Because having that um, resolution and conviction on something you haven't particularly proven out yet takes a lot of guts. Like it takes a lot of courage. And it, there's a lot of noise that people are going to give us when we're stepping fully into this like thing we know we're supposed to do, but we don't, we can't like prove the results yet. And I have clients all the time saying, um, uh, my husband's challenging me, like, is this really going to work? Or they're like, uh, how do I make this transition from the thing I've always done to this thing I know I'm supposed to do? And, and like, Yeah. Sometimes you just got to leap and you got to work your butt off to make sure that what you're doing now is really going to pay the bills. So you're a great testimonial to that. What's one thing you wish you would have done sooner now that you have your business that's made it perform better?
0: I think really leaning into writing on ideas that I care about. Mm -hmm. I think early on I was figuring out what I wanted to write on. And so I was kind of a little bit lost. And I think I, I always felt this sense of, well, I've got to take these kind of baby steps. I can't, I can't do some of this stuff that maybe I really have my mind set on long-term. Early on, I was like, oh, I got to talk about things that honestly, like I felt I found very boring. Like general public speaking tips are very boring to me because I love like the strategic part. I love the storytelling part. Like that's the stuff that fires me up. Don't get me wrong, Like I can talk about cadence and rhythm and, and all the normal stuff, like stop saying um and take the right pauses. But early on, I was writing on that because that's what people were telling me I should be doing. They're like, this is what you should write on because this is what people wanna hear. But the problem is that I was connecting with people that weren't my target audience. That was connecting with people that were never gonna hire me to do the work I wanna do. And honestly, I think you've gotta make this decision as an entrepreneur is who do I wanna work with? Like what type of people do I enjoy being around? And so I wish early on, I would have focused more on writing the stuff that I care about, which I'm now writing a lot more on, which is like strategy and fundraising and like all these different like structuring and framing pieces and things that get like very tactical and deep in the weeds, but that are also always focused on storytelling. Like storytelling is a thing that just resonates throughout all my writing these days. And early on, it was too much general public speaking. And that was a mistake. And I really kind of regret not doubling down earlier on like my love of storytelling.
1: Uh, That's really good advice. Cause I think if we can uh, hone in our focus and really do the thing that like you're saying, like, what does our audience need to hear? The audience we want to work with, not the general audience. It makes such a big difference. So uh, I can relate. I did that too. (laughs) Robbie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today and inspiring us with this idea of storytelling, the way you do it. I highly encourage you to check out Robbie, connect with him on his socials. Uh, We'll link up some other resources because I have a feeling there's some other cool stuff that Robbie's up to that uh, we'll link up in the show notes for you. And Robbie, uh, thank you for doing this work in the world. It's such a valuable asset to anybody who's a fire starter and a change agent, and a trailblazer, and they need to get the communication down so they can inspire those people into their movements.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Mel. This was absolutely fantastic and uh just love jamming out with you on this stuff
1: cool me too <laughs> thanks for tuning in today amplifier be sure to join us right now in the amplify your authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and i'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market